This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. Can a municipality take a home for back taxes and leave the owner with nothing? In 13 states, including Massachusetts, the answer is yes. A county can sell a property on which taxes are owed and keep the entire proceeds of the home, even when the value of the home far exceeds the tax debt. Not surprisingly, it is often the most vulnerable citizens, such as the elderly or those in difficult circumstances, who find themselves dispossessed and who have few resources to either settle debt or defend themselves against government action. Indeed, while all municipalities and states that permit such action could legally foreclose, sell, and keep all proceeds from a home, it is the towns and counties in the least wealthy communities that quietly avail themselves of this power. How does such government action comport with limits enshrined in constitutional rights? And what can concern citizens, legislators, and property right advocates do to limit what seems to violate both common law and common sense? My guest today is president of Pioneer Legal and retired federal judge, the Honorable Frank J. Bailey. In his role as president of Pioneer Legal, Judge Bailey has filed amicus briefs urging the U.S. Supreme Court to hear two related cases that test the constitutionality of similar Nebraska and Minnesota laws that permit the state to take a private home, sell it, and keep the entire proceeds, even if the property sells for much more than the taxes, interests, and costs of collection. The briefs urge the court to determine such actions to be unconstitutional as they are in violation of prohibition of takings without just compensation. If successful, the pro bono work of Pioneer Legal and others who have joined the briefs would offer federal protection to homeowners in Massachusetts who in the most difficult times of their lives may otherwise find themselves vulnerable to such egregious practices. When I return, I'll be joined by President of Pioneer Legal, the Honorable Judge Frank Bailey. Okay, we're back. This is Habwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi. And I'm now pleased to be joined by the president of Pioneer Legal, uh, the Honorable Judge Frank Bailey. Welcome to Habwonk, Judge. Hi, Joe. Uh, thanks for having me on. Well, we're delighted. This is your first appearance on Habwonk. Uh, very excited. And uh, uh, as the head of Pioneer Legal with a, with a, uh, a fantastic legal background, uh, I'm sure our listeners are eager to learn more about you. So before we dive into our topic, uh, why don't you start off by uh, t- sharing with our listeners a bit about your background and what I think is mo- most important. What is it in the law that has uh, uh, kept your interest and uh, where you, you, know, you, you, you find most interesting about, um, about you know, everything you've seen in your career? Well, uh, sure. Uh, I was, I'm a uh, 1980 law school graduate. And from after that, I clerked in the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court uh, for Justice Wilkins. Uh, and uh, then I practiced law for about 30 years um, at at uh, two firms, essentially, Sullivan and Worcester, uh, and uh, later at Sharon and Lodgen. Uh, about 15 years ago, I was appointed to the United States Bankruptcy Court bench uh, in, in Boston, sitting in the District of Massachusetts. I was the chief judge there for about four years, um, also served on the First Circuit Bankruptcy Appellate Panel, where we reviewed uh, the work of other judges throughout the First Circuit. Um, And uh, then just earlier this year, 
I I retired from the bench um, really in order to take on this uh, new uh, responsibility, which um, is to serve as the president of Pioneer Legal. Um, Pioneer Legal as it really started when I got here. Um, so I can. So that's my background, uh, Joe. Wonderful. Well, that's great. So I, again, I think your experience then in, in bankruptcy uh, issues uh, speaks to our issue today. I think we'll get into it a little bit further, but you, are, I assume, are, uh, are very uh, in touch with property rights uh, and how uh, those either can be taken or, or, or are protected. Um, now, on a general level, you're, you say you're the uh, uh, inaugural, I guess, president of Pioneer Legal. What is Pioneer Legal's mission um, and where do you see it uh, fitting into sort of the, the tapestry of, of, of legal ad- advocacy? Sure. So Pioneer Legal is a, a nonpartisan uh, public interest law firm. Um, essentially, what that means is we uh, take on cases because we're interested in the issues, uh, not because we get paid. Uh, and it's interesting. Uh, I have found uh, that uh, when lawyers don't charge for their time the the clients do tend to find you uh, <laughs> so and our we we really have three legs to the stool uh at uh pioneer legal uh we uh promote uh and defend education options uh for children and uh we uh work uh, extensively on on making government accountable uh, and on uh, ensuring uh, economic opportunity is freely and fairly available without um, undue government restriction. So those are sort of the three uh, legs to our stool. So as opposed to being a hired gun for some uh, moneyed interest, you're the opposite. You're advocating for uh, the little guy now because your work is is uh, pro bono. And uh, you mentioned three areas that uh, really do need an advocate because otherwise they would be somewhat less powerful uh, than the than the forces they're up against. So that's a good sort of setup for our conversation today. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, an issue we're we're calling uh, equity theft. Um, I'm going to put it in the most basic la- legal or lay terms. Um, you know, if you'll allow me, I'm going to say that what I'm calling equity theft is where the government collects taxes that are owed to it. Uh, but it does so by um, uh, forcefully either selling the house and um, or taking the house, selling it, and keeping all the proceeds. That is to say, I owe X on my house in, in taxes. The government uh, forces me to sell it. It collects the entire amount of the money far in excess of what I've owed in taxes. Uh, that's my view. Um, tell me how you would define it. No, that's you've got it. I mean, it's... Um like all of the things that we're doing at Pioneer Legal, we're um, uh, testing uh, the the uh, extent of government uh, involvement in our lives against uh, people's civil rights and um, making sure that uh, government doesn't uh, exceed uh, its authority. And that's exactly what this is about. The it's it's about um, in about thirteen different states, including Massachusetts, where I live, uh, and where Pioneer Legal is uh, located. Of course, um, in those thirteen states, when a uh, a community, a city, town, community uh, forecloses on a tax lien because someone has fallen behind on their property taxes. 
um, the government or its assignee can keep all of the proceeds, um, even though, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into some narrow examples or some specific examples of uh, where very little is owed in taxes, but very large amounts of dollars are kept uh, by the um, foreclosing entity, whether it's a, a, a city, town, or, or a, I say, um, assignee, meaning a private enterprise that maybe acquired that lien from the uh, city or town. So I um, I want to um, take it down to, I enjoyed reading your summary of your amicus brief that was on Pioneer Legal that described some really hair-curling examples of, of what we're talking about. Lest our listeners think this is some very dry academic uh, conversation, uh, I think when you put names, faces, and numbers on it, it becomes real and uh, it'll get... I think uh, our listeners' uh, um, you know, anger uh, fired up. So why don't you take us through the basic fact patterns? In, and you mentioned two cases in your piece, Kevin Fair versus uh, Continental Resources and Tyler versus Hennepin County uh, to illustrate you know, what we're talking about, how, how bad it is that we're, what we're talking about. Well, the stories, uh, Joe, really go on and on here. Um, those are the two cases that are pending uh, at the Supreme Court. Uh, and in which we filed our brief, um, uh, and, and I'll I'll describe them and others uh, uh, during the during our discussion uh, today. So uh, I'll start with the Fair versus Continental Resources, um, which is a case that um, uh, came out of uh, uh, Nebraska, and uh, so the Fairs were husband and wife uh, uh, Terry. Uh, and her husband uh, were uh, had owned their home for 27 years. Uh, when uh, Terry uh, became sick, uh, uh, her husband uh, Kevin was uh, unable to keep up the amount of work that he had been able to uh, perform before that. Their income as a family dropped. She was quite gravely ill, and that went on for a few years. Uh, so even though they had actually paid off their mortgage entirely, so they owned the house outright, um, they fell behind on the taxes to the amount of $588.21. Doesn't sound like much. Um, uh, but then uh, relying on a uh, uh, a statute that was enacted in 1870 uh, that allows uh, communities to collect on uh past due taxes and to put a lien on the house uh ultimately uh the community the uh the community uh, well actually sold the lien to something called community resources which is a private enterprise operating in Nebraska and a few other places and commun community resources ultimately um uh, for we say foreclosed on the lien uh, it had risen because of interest and and uh, and and attorneys fees and a few other things, uh, but ultimately they sold uh, the Fair's uh, house. Unfortunately, Terry Fair, Mrs. Fair, passed away in the interim, uh, and uh, Kevin couldn't come up with the dollars uh, to uh, pay off the lien, and so they sold the property, um, and uh, the sale uh, price was over $60,000, which again, on the East Coast maybe, and doesn't sound like a whole lot of money, but it was really the family wealth that the fairs had been able to um, accumulate uh, by owning owning this home. So on yeah. account of $588 tax lien, 
they lost a house worth $60,000. What I found interesting about this, I mean, I think it's important you know that his he left his job to support his to take care of his wife who had was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, if I can say that, uh, which is a terrible disease. And I, I think for much of the uh, when the the lien was sold in your in your piece, if I've got this right, they weren't even aware that the uh, lien had been sold. Is that right? So much of this uh, was sort of a surprise. They, as you say, had paid off their mortgage. So this tax lien is is floating around in the ether somewhere, and suddenly someone knocks on the door and say, "Pay us this amount, or you lose literally every every dollar you've put into your house." Yeah. So the that that that's right, and. You know, the knock on the door often isn't even someone saying, pay off the lien. It's um, hand me the keys. Uh, you know, it's time for you to leave uh, because you're being evicted. We now own the house, either the entity or the town or the designee of the town. Uh, and uh, yes, in this instance, you know, it, Kevin was so distracted, uh, he was unable to keep track of um, the status. Yeah, yeah, I, I, look, I spent 15 years on the bankruptcy bench, and uh, there were times when I would go just walking over to my clerk's office, uh, and I would see people coming in to file for bankruptcy. And often they had individuals, not lawyers, you know, would have a bag of mail with them. A couple of times I helped them pick up the bag of mail and put it on the counter. And it was mostly uh, mail that they had received and and had not even opened. So they weren't even aware, particularly, of how much they owed. Uh, people get distracted. And uh, when they do, uh, sometimes they, um, they you know, things are happening uh, behind the scenes in their minds. Uh, and that's what happened to Kevin uh, Fair. Indeed. So can you share with us um, the other one I mentioned, the Tyler versus Hennepin Counties? Uh, another awful, awful example. Right. So in in that in that case, um, uh, Mrs. Tyler, uh, uh, now she that's Hennepin County happens to be uh, it's uh, uh, it, it's a Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul area, and uh, she was uh, is a ninety plus year old woman. Uh, this particular property uh, was property that. Uh, it was a condo that she had bought where she thought she could live out her days. She also fell behind on on her um, on her uh, property uh, taxes. Uh, she had moved out. She moved in with family members because the neighborhood in which her condo existed uh, was um, uh, in a, what turned out to be a bad and violent sort of neighborhood. She was afraid to live there. She moved out. She rented the uh, the uh, the condo, uh, and when folks didn't pay the rent, another thing that we saw a lot of in the bankruptcy court, uh, then she, as a one-off landlord, didn't have the financial resources uh, to pay the taxes. Um, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me here, here but they were, I think, somewhat uh, worse even than what Kevin Fair faced. Uh, it, again, small dollars in in uh, in taxes that were passed due and large value that she lost. I think the important detail is not that we're or you are advocating that people ought not to pay their taxes. They should pay their taxes, but uh, if and they they run into hard times and the, that house is foreclosed on or, or sold, the, the government is entitled to the money of its taxes, not not the entire proceeds of the home. I mean, uh, you know, just to put a a big underline out of that, we're not saying taxes shouldn't be paid. We're saying you know. Uh, fair is fair. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Well said. I mean, you know that that's absolutely true. Uh, 
it, it doesn't enter into this discussion that people should pay their taxes. They should pay their taxes. Uh, but when they, for one reason or another, and it happens in life, that they don't pay their taxes, uh, that uh, if the property gets sold, uh, they ought not to lose all of their equity uh, in the property, which is a windfall uh, to the uh, communities that do the foreclosures. So, so I'm going to go on dangerous ground here and try to you know use my layperson brain to to sort of uh, see what I find wrong about this and and where it might attach to you know some legal principle. In my mind, the Fifth Amendment, there's a takings clause in there that says, look, if the government does take something from you, you know, it could be to build a highway, you know, through your house. Uh, they got to uh, compensate you fairly um, at the very basic level. Again, not as an attorney, but, you know, I can read the Constitution. It's, it's short enough. Uh, isn't this a violation of that just fundamental principle of taking? Well, uh, we think it is. And uh, and uh, in a we 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 have here, though, um, a split among the courts, and that's what makes for a case that uh, we think the Supreme Court should consider, and that's why we have filed our brief. There's a split among the state Supreme Courts on whether or not it violates the Fifth Amendment uh, takings clause or the due process clause of the 15th uh, and 14th Amendments. Uh, and there's a question as to, uh, and in some state, in some uh, some state supreme courts have gone the other way with that, uh, and agreed with the position that we are advocating here, which is that it violates the Fifth Amendment. Uh, it's also a split in the federal uh, courts. The uh, the Eighth Circuit, um, that would be the Minnesota, uh, including Minnesota. Um, has concluded that it is not a violation of the Fifth Amendment for reasons I can I can explain. And the gonna, uh, uh, Judge Bailey, I, I was going to say, as as an attorney and a judge, uh, I think uh, the mark of a great uh, attorney is you can forcefully argue either side of the case. So you and I seem to be squarely on one side. Make the best case for, as you say, these courts are split with what seems to me uh, not a very difficult or controversial issue. Make the case that the other side of the court makes that, that sure. this is a good idea. Right. So the arguments uh, on the other side of this uh, are, uh, I can make them. I can make them convincingly. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you, but. You don't have to, you don't have to persuade me, but at least give our yeah, listeners just a brief sense. What, what, uh, what's the logic here? The first thing they say is, uh, some courts have found, including the two that we're dealing with here, have found that it's not a taking at all. They have said that it's a fine. So it, uh, if, in other words, if uh, you don't pay your taxes, you may suffer a penalty, and that penalty is the nature of a fine. Uh, and uh, uh, so rather than levying, that uh, they're actually levying on a fine rather than um, than selling your interest in property and keeping the proceeds. I, I shall I give you the answer to that because I think it's <laughs> yeah sure go ahead shoot that one down because it seems pretty you know if I owe, owe a dollar on a million dollar house it's the same fine as a uh, if I owe uh, you know a million dollars on a million dollar you know to me it seems arbitrary but go ahead just shoot it down. Well, I have to rely on another amendment, uh, and the courts don't rely heavily on this argument. But this is what the argument that they make, uh, and and uh, and and the courts have some courts have accepted it. You know, under the Eighth Amendment, um, which 
means that punishment, you know, can't be cruel and unusual. We all know about that, right? So you, that limits the kind of penalty that the state can, the state and federal government can uh, impose on criminals. But it also says that fines shall not be excessive. And so I don't know in whose mind uh, taking $60,000 in equity on account of a $580 uh, tax wouldn't be deemed excessive. And most of the courts agree with that, um, although not all. That the, Then they delve into the due process arguments. And uh, uh, on this, it gets very, very technical. But what the essentially, I'll try to make it as, as easy, as simple as I can. What, what the uh, courts have said is that uh, the uh, well, the fifth, the the fifth and fourteenth amendments say no state shall deprive a person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Uh, and uh, the fifth amendment, uh, of course, goes on to say that property shall not shall not be taken without just compensation. What what the uh, courts have found and the arguments uh, have been made are. Uh, that it isn't a taking because um, a, a, a taking is limited to eminent domain. Uh, it's not doesn't include uh, where the government is is wearing its um, taxing hat um, rather than its acquisit it, rather than acquiring property for future development of a public nature. And so they draw a distinction uh, of that sort and say, this is uh, the government acting, you know, with uh, out of the the fisc, if you will, the public fisc in trying to collect uh, taxes and that there is no limitation uh, on the ability to uh, to uh, 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 of the government to take for that purpose. So it's not it's not a constitutional taking is what they say. So, so again, I would just sort of re- rehash what, what you said. Um, you mentioned there's, you know, federal limits on these kinds of things um, that ought to, we we hope, constrain what states can do. First, the fifth is the taking clause, but then the fourteenth imposes, you know, it says all the rights that you have at a federal level are imposed on the state, meaning they sort of they, the the constitution applies to the state's laws as well, right? Uh, that's a, that's a, right a, a version. Um, and what what you're saying. Um, uh, because they're not building a highway through the house, uh, where if they had to knock down your house to build a highway, then that's a that's a taking. But if the, if it deals with the fiscal matters like taxes, well, then all bets are off. So I want to build on that. If the gov- if the state says okay, all bets are off, and it is appropriate to for a five hundred dollar um, tax lien to take sixty thousand uh, dollars worth of equity. Um, is there no you know as as Americans, is there no sort of appeal to uh, some sort of natural law or some sort of, uh, um, uh, I don't know, uh, human right to uh, property that says the government can't merely l- uh, wave a wand and and uh, take my property from me without, uh, you know, unfairly? It's a great question. And, you know, um, lawyers and judges rarely deal with natural law, right? I mean, we're dealing with with uh, <laughs> right statutory law or judge-made law, decisional law, common law. Um, but this case, actually, this fact pattern does, in fact, raise that very question. And in a recent Sixth Circuit case, 
that um, where the Sixth Circuit, this is uh, sitting in Ohio, the Sixth Circuit said, disagreed with the Eighth Circuit and said, this is in fact a taking. And in, in the way that the court got there was it looked at uh, Anglo-American law from the Magna Carta on. All right. So we're talking about a, a, a long period of uh, of uh, jurisprudence here. And the court said uh, that it was an aberration for a uh, for any court to find that um, the state can 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 define property rights in a in a fashion that allows it to take property without just compensation that that's the underpinning of the of the constitution and that um even though the state may define property rights uh in the statutory in the statutes of the of the uh, of the state that the legislature adopts they can adopt a statute that says this is no longer your property but there's a limitation on that it seems rather sensible doesn't it but that is uh certainly what the sixth circuit said um in 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 that case so yeah there is a limit um to the state's ability to define it's what your define away your interest in 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 property right indeed if you if if there's no limit then there is no you know right to you know there's no taking clause right there's you know so um so let's let's, let, let me let me add to that just a little bit because i i think it's important that um everyone uh understand that uh, the uh, what the Sixth Circuit did was in really quite a wonderful opinion. I mean, it, I don't recommend it to non-lawyers, but for, I, for, for our listeners, we're talking about the Hall versus Meisner uh, case in Michigan, right? So if we are okay, yep. we are Joe, and it came down only a couple of weeks ago, and it's a it's a in, in my mind a masterful opinion, and it should influence the Supreme Court on this too. Uh, but the, as I say, the court traced um, uh, the rights of debtors really uh near and dear to my heart uh the rights of debtors from the magna carta on and said there is no circumstance in which a creditor gets to take property of the debtor if it's used as you know to secure a loan or a mortgage whatever it is and to keep all of the proceeds over and above what they're owed uh and by looking at at that in a whole host of different um scenarios the Sixth Circuit finally said the, the government can't step in and 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 take property. Let me see if I can read to you a, a quote uh, from that decision that I thought was really maybe my favorite uh, part of the decision. Uh, rarely do you see federal courts speak in such plain language, but here, here's what they said. Uh, Judge Bailey, if you'll permit me, uh, you had sent me the quotation, I believe, uh, it, directly from Hall versus Meisner, quote, the county forcibly took property worth vastly more than the debts these plaintiffs owed and failed to refund any of the difference. In some legal precincts, that sort of behavior is called theft, unquote. Uh, okay, Judge, we, we've clearly uh, defined the two sides. You say there's disagreement. We have the sixth uh, recent uh, ruling uh, we talked about in the um, Hall versus Meisner case in Michigan and the Eighth Circuit, I guess, in um, Nebraska. So when uh, circuits disagree, I guess the next step is that the Supreme Court doesn't uh, doesn't have to take it, but can take it. So what we 
what we call that in the legal world is a grant cert, right? Uh, the, 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 the court says, okay, this is important enough. There's, it's, it's substantive and there's meaningful disagreement. We're going to settle it at, at the federal level once and for all. So your work at Pioneer Legal, you've helped, I think, insofar as you, you're encouraging the Supreme Court to take this case by writing an amicus brief. Is that right? You said, um, please uh, consider this. It's very important. Share with our listeners, how does one encourage the court uh, to take up an issue that you believe is important? So this is uh, a, this the certiorari um, procedure is one by which um, any any litigant can ask the uh, Supreme Court to take up their case. Uh, and to give you uh, some numbers on that, there'll be over 5,000 requests to the U.S. Supreme Court for this term. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know how many they'll take. It depends on how hard they want to work. But, uh, but they will um, probably only take about 70 to 75 cases. Um, so you can see that the odds are long. And the case has to be one of great importance, really. Uh, we think that this fits. Uh, this is a circuit split and a state court, Supreme Court split. Uh, that's the kind of thing that the Supreme Court um, will be uh, very inclined to, to take. Uh, I'll add a footnote to that. And, and it's that if the Supreme Court thinks, well, there might be a few other states coming this way or other circuits coming this way in the next year. Maybe we'll wait till next year to take this one. We're sure they'll be back. Um, now, the the amicus brief or amicus brief procedure is that um, the Supreme Court uh, uh, allows, uh, quote unquote, friends of the court. That's what amicus brief means uh, to file uh, briefs to expand upon um, and uh, often to identify the policy issues that might be uh, that might not be directly relevant to the dispute between parties A and B, but might be important to America. Uh, and uh, and that's what that's when you file an amicus brief. And that's precisely uh, what we uh, what we did here, encouraging the court to take this issue up and decide it. And presumably, then, if it is, it, it, they agree to take the case, uh, it would be heard, I guess, presumably sometime in, uh, in the not too distant future. You know, again, as you say, the odds are long, but the, this is great importance, uh, this case. Um, again, I'm going to go into the realm of speculation and say, you know, there's healthy disagreement. You and I perhaps are on one side uh, and see things the way we do. Uh, given the makeup of the court, or I don't know if this is a left right issue. Uh, it seems, uh, they seem to be passionate about uh, individual uh, rights and property rights, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. How do you, how do you think that this court would react to this case? Well, uh, you're absolutely right. This is not a right-left issue. Um, I, I I don't think um, so. This is a this is a case where I could see I could see the court uh, acting, you know, with with no dissents. Uh, I I uh, I do believe that the Issues that are raised by it could have other implications in other aspects of the law, and therefore, you know, maybe uh, maybe I'm not seeing all of that. Um, uh, far be it from me to ever predict what the Supreme Court's going to do, but if I had to here, I would say that it's, I'd say it's likely that this term or next they would take the case, and I do think that they will find that you know there are only 13 states that allow for this process right now. Uh, that I think the Supreme Court would. Uh, find this to be an unconstitutional taking. 
uh, and uh, and would invalidate those state statutes that allow uh, states to take the equity uh, of a person uh, uh, far above what's uh, owed for taxes. As you say, the uh, this issue only relates to those states who allow for it, Massachusetts being one of them. Let's bring it back more locally. As you say, um, Pioneer Legal and I am all, we're all uh, here in Massachusetts. Uh, we we're talking about cases in Nebraska and um, um, Michigan, uh, but we're one of those states. What have you seen here in Massachusetts? Lest people think this is for uh, an issue for some faraway uh, uh, court. What have you seen here in Massachusetts where perhaps the state has taken uh, uh, some vulnerable person's property uh, uh, with really no redress? Right. So, uh, yes, indeed, this is the law in Massachusetts. And uh, in some ways, our statute, I think, is more vulnerable uh, to attack uh, on constitutional grounds uh, than than even the statutes in Nebraska and in uh, Minnesota that are at issue currently at the Supreme Court for reasons that I can describe. But yet we at Pioneer Legal have had clients, um, local uh, individuals, uh, families uh, who have lost their homes. Uh, and uh, in in every instance that we've uh, had these clients, the cases have settled um, for reasons that I can explain. But uh, one example uh, is a fellow named Mark Mucaccio from Easton, um, who is a construction worker. Uh, and uh, he fell behind on his taxes on a family homestead that had been in that family for years, no mortgage uh, on the property. Uh, he ended up owing $4,000 in taxes uh, and uh, and lo- lost the property uh, to a tax foreclosure. The property had a value of well over $300,000. Uh, now, that's an example of a person who uh, was uh, able to settle uh, with Easton uh, and was able to get the property back and work out a payment plan uh, on on the small amount of taxes. Um, so, uh, in 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 Massachusetts, uh, the takings procedure um, is is really peculiar because uh, the uh, all that has to happen is that the tax collector in the town needs only to file a certificate that says that the uh, individuals are 14 days behind in in paying their taxes. They then give a 14-day notice to the individual, and then they are able to unilaterally, without even asking you have a court or, or anyone else for the right to do it, they can do what is, what is uh, they, they, they can uh, take the, the ownership of the property and transfer it to the town. So, uh, that's uh, a little more shocking than even what we see in in other states. And and yet this seems, you know, it's strange credulity here because I think, you know, were that the case, it's, let's say somebody, as you say, some people don't get their mail, all kinds of things happen uh, where they have a, a tragedy in the family. They're not, you know, just can't be bothered to pay their taxes. Things happen, right? Um, God forbid. Um, and after, if I do the math right, 28 days, Whereas they may not do it, they have the right to do it. Where they have the right to take your your property, it seems to me that uh, uh, this is more than a sort of a, a niche issue. This um, all of us pay taxes, and all of us would prefer not to have our our property seized. Why has this not been more of an issue until now? Uh, you know, to me, it seems like a um, you know uh, 
monster hiding in, in, in plain sight? Why, why is it that? Um, well, yeah. Yeah. So uh, wh- why is that? Um, I, I think that, um, you know, it, it is a big issue. I'll give you some numbers in a minute. I hope you'll ask me about that because I do have Massachusetts. Sure, sure. Okay, again, I'll, I'll, I'll tee up the question. How many people does this happen to in Massachusetts in this this great commonwealth of ours? Yeah, that's a good. I mean that that that's important, isn't it? Because are, are we talking about five cases a year, or are we talking about more? And we're talking about a lot more than that. So, and and then I can I can tell you why I think it hasn't come to the fore. Um, so uh, the the Pacific Legal Foundation uh, is looking at this issue across the country. Has done some really great work on it. And uh, the Pacific Legal Foundation um, has looked at this uh, issue very carefully around the country, including in Massachusetts. And they studied uh, looking at every foreclosure, tax foreclosure in Massachusetts from 2014 to 2020. And this is what they found, that mass homeowners who lost houses to tax foreclosure lost 87% of their uh, home equity value uh, so only thirteen, only on average, thirteen percent, and it's often you know that's an average. So it's less than that. Uh, ended up going to the town or to some other creditor. Uh, so they lost seven eighths of their property to pay off one eighth of the property. That that's right. That's right. Uh, and uh, the average equity lost on the sales that did occur in Massachusetts. $260,000, not surprising given the value of homes uh, in, in, in Massachusetts. Um, and during that period, there were 31 communities exercise this right. So not all communities do it, right? Some communities simply use the threat of the foreclosure as a way of working out a payment plan. Uh, uh, other communities uh, sort of count on uh, a, a large windfall on a few of these a year uh, in order to um, add to the uh, to the town uh, finances. But in that period of time, 31 communities uh, accounting for a third of the pop- population of the state foreclosed on 254 homes and took $60 million um, uh, 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 more than they were owed on taxes. And uh, another 154 homes were sold by a private company that purchased the tax deeds uh, and uh, made what Pacific Legal uh, estimated at another $37 million. So it was uh, uh, only one private company was involved in that. So $37 million in that period of time um, in excess of what was owed uh, to to the communities. And I want to emphasize emphasize the tax deed nature of this. What I said before was that the tax collector goes and takes, has a deed issued and records it, uh, taking the the home from the family that owns it. uh, And uh, and then they get into another process, um, which is ultimately the uh, foreclosure uh, of the right to redeem the home. That takes a bit longer. So people have an opportunity to fix it. But they don't. But they've already lost the uh, the uh, home by the time they practically by the time they learn of it under our system. It's extraordinary. What what, what amazes me again, Massachusetts is a great a great commonwealth. Uh, tends to lean uh, towards the more progressive end of the the spectrum and says, okay, we're comfortable with the idea that the state would come in and the people who are I don't know if you 
collected data on this, but one has to assume if you're having your house foreclosed because you owe taxes, uh, you're either vulnerable because of life circumstances or, or financially vulnerable, you can't pay it. So these are people who are helpless uh, and, and, this, and the state marches in and takes a, the entire house for a relatively small debt and considers that just and fair. Uh, you know, it, 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 I, I don't understand how this could be. Well, the the uh, and the number rises very quickly because, uh, in addition to taxes, uh, the the basic tax due, um, the Commonwealth uh, authorizes cities and towns to add interest at the rate of sixteen percent um, uh, on the on the amount due. So uh, the number can get up there, and again, you know, the, you might start out at five or six hundred dollars, and they can take take the issue a tax deed. A taking, um, but a year or two later, when they're actually foreclosing on the lien, the number could be five thousand dollars, which to some people is even if they own an asset that's worth three or four hundred thousand uh, dollars, it is not a an amount of money that they're able to raise. So, so add loan sharking or, or usury or whatever legal term we want to say to the uh, crimes of the state here. So. If our listeners have made it to the end here and are, um, you know, uh, totally fired up and they want to join the battle and make sure that uh, their fellow Massachusetts residents don't suffer this fate or their fellow Americans, if we uh, settle this at the Supreme Court, how can uh, those listeners who are fired up now uh, support your work or learn more about your work and and uh, and roll up their sleeves and perhaps to join the fight? Well, uh, you know, absolutely. And, and there is hope here, uh, Joe, because in a case that came down just in 2020 from our state Supreme Court that actually involved a tax taking of this sort, but didn't involve the constitutionality of the statute, the then Chief Justice Ralph Gantz of the court in a footnote said, um, he cited these other cases and said, you know, maybe soon we'll see a case questioning the constitutionality of our state statute. That's the way a state Supreme Court can say, hey, guys, bring it on, you know, give us a chance at this. Um, and and uh, so uh, that that's what um, th- that's why I think there's some hope. I, I do believe when this gets to our state Supreme Court and pioneer legal hopes to get it there, uh, that this our statute will be found to be unconstitutional. Um, so yes, of course, we Pioneer Legal, you know, is a 501c3. Um, we are uh, um, affiliated with the Pioneer uh, Institute, which you know has been around for a very long time, and uh, we we do what sort of the the edge of what Pioneer Institute can do. The Pioneer Institute um, studies issues and issues reports and uh, and encourages change. Uh, and uh, in circumstances where that change doesn't happen, Pioneer Legal uh, has the ability to bring lawsuits and ask the third branch uh, to uh, to get to the right answer uh, on, on something. So again, as a 501c3, we certainly live on donations. Um, we don't charge legal fees, and we never will. Uh, and uh, so uh, uh, if the listeners are interested in making donations to us, we're, we're certainly... Uh, more than happy to have them. Wonderful. That's a very powerful pitch. Uh, so where can our listeners find Pioneer Legal? Is it pioneerlegal.org? Well, you can go to our website and it's uh, pioneerlegal.org, www.pioneerlegal.org. Uh, we are we share space with Pioneer Institute, 185 Devonshire Street, 
in Boston, but there's an awful lot to learn about the many things we're doing um, uh, by going to our website. And uh, we hope people go take a look. And there is an opportunity, as always, to donate by going there. But more important, if any listener has an issue that they would like us to consider uh, bringing, uh, you can rep report government abuse uh by uh going uh, onto our website and there's an opportunity to do that just make a click and tell us and we'll call you and talk it through well that's wonderful full service uh bring us either your your problems for us to solve or your uh, generous donations for us to help others so that's a that's a very compelling pitch well we're at the end of our time together i, I really appreciate your your time judge bailey this has been wonderful uh uh information i think it's, it's stimulated a lot of people uh, to uh, perhaps uh, get active and find out uh, if we can uh, uh, settle this once and for all, either at the state or at the federal level. This has been great. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Joe. This has been another episode of Hubwong. If you enjoyed today's show, there are several ways to support Hubwong and Pioneer Institute. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwong on your iTunes podcatcher. It would make it easier for others to find Hubwong if you offer a five-star rating or a favorable review. We're always grateful if you share Hubwonk with friends. If you have comments or suggestions or ideas for future episode topics, you're welcome to e email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk. Hubwonk.